Wish everyone well and mention here again Nochenberg Ben Malka our first lemma b'tech shorcher Yisrael. I want to share with you a b'sura tova, which some of you may have seen on this uh, weekly shear is is aired on weekly on anash.org, and they had a uh, book review of a new edition of the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. Um, so. To explain a little bit what this is, this the Sishkanach was written by the Plymouth Grant Gansfried, close to 180 years ago, approximately. And then he's immensely popular safer. And there become various editions of the Kitzeshkanaruch with incorporating, let's say, the Psachim of the Mishabura, etc. About 30 years ago, I'm not sure exactly, but around that. Amount of years, the late Rav Levi Bistritsky, he prepared an edition of the Kitzur Shechan with interspersed Sokim of the Alter Rebbe. So, for example, I've given here a, a sample page. So you have here in Simon Chofesiv base talking about Tachnun, and he adds in here in the slightly different letters, and, um, uh, and the, the, there's the Psak of the Alter Rebbe. So this, this has been a very popular in Chabad, a, a Kitzur Shechan with the Piskei Admor However, in the Hoss publication uh, office, they felt that there's a lack of a incorporation of Midahogei Chabad. In other words, let's say you're learning Hilchas Mezuzah, there's very little of... Um, of Alter Rebbe saying anything about Hilchas Mezuzah. Well, there's lots of Minhagi Chabad about that, Hanukkah, etc. So there was a felt this need to incorporate Minhagi Chabad also. And so about 12 years ago, perhaps a bit more, um, so I was approached by Kahos to compile this kind of um, collection of Minhagi Chabad as a, as on the, like on the margin of the Kitzah. And this is Baruch Hashem took a long, long time, but Baruch Hashem has now finally come out, um, and that came out this, uh, it's now become, become available in Kahos. I don't think it's available in, in, in London yet, but uh, Baruch Hashem will be, and there are people listening abroad, etc. So it is available, Baruch Hashem, and um, I am expecting a, little, a bit of feedback here and there, but fine. That's part of what you expect when you publish something. I just want to share with you, just before actually going to the Shia for today, just want to share with you a fascinating Hashkocha Protis. A couple of years before Kahos asked me to do this job, I was approached by Rabbi Havlin of Hechel Menachem in Yerushalayim. And they had published before a series of four volumes, five volumes of Shari Halacha Minig, all the Rebbe's letters um, in Halacha, letters and Sikhas in Halacha. And they were preparing a new edition and they asked me to review it, to work for work. And I did spend, I don't know, hundreds of hours probably on this project. And eventually that came out in a series of sevens for him, seven Browns for him called Shulcha Menachem. So this was just before, when I finished that project, and then I got approached by, I was approached by Kohos to do this Kitzvah Shechon with the collation of Minhagim, which I was a fascinating, you know, if you think about it, I just spent a year or, or 18 months going through methodically all the Rebbe's uh, letters on Halacha Minhag. Then when it came to putting it together, you know, and collating it for the Kitzvah Shechon it was relatively fresh. So that was an, an amazing Ashkocha Pratis, which I just wanted to share with you. And Bez Hashem, you know, we should have uh, the bracha, that we shouldn't have made any mistakes, and um, be a te'elis, be a, a benefit for Klalis throughout. Okay, now, someone asked me this week, at the beginning of this week's Sedra, of Pasha's Truma, so we have Rashi mentions, we can see it's underlined, Yud Gimel Dvorim Ha'amurim Bi'inyan. There are 13 items in the list. And the problem is that if you read the list of items, gold, silver, copper, etc., you'll read that there are 
15 items on the list. So this question has been troubling the various Mephorshim. The most prominent of the Mephorshim Rashi is obviously Rebeliao Mizrahi. And um, the Sifsi Chachomim on the margin, you can see, so he quotes the Mizrahi as suggesting that the three colors of wool, blue wool, scarlet, and, uh, and purple, they're all, all wool. Therefore, they all count as one. That brings the 15 down to, down to 30. Then he suggests perhaps the stones for the uh, for the Choshen, etc. Perhaps that wasn't that doesn't um, get included. But actually, that's a little, oh no, why not? He says because they weren't donated by Claudius Sur, they were donated by the Nisim. That's that's his suggestion. Now, so someone asked me about this, and I remembered that there's in the Sikhs about this, and so let's scroll down. Um, I have the sikha now. Okay, the inlook of the that ever refers to the Tzemach Tzedek in Oyer HaToyra, who talked about this. And he quotes the Rashi. Then he says how the Re'om, Rabbi Yom Mizrahi, struggles with this. And he's, and he says, B'mechilas my apologies to him, but he uh, forgot there's a Medrash, which talks clearly about this, the, the 13 items and misses out from the list of the 15, misses out the oil for the spices and the spices, because the oil and the spices are not for the actual structure, nor for making the garments. They are, they are additional for the consecration, etc. but they are not part of the actual materials for the construction. So this is clear in the Medrash where it lists the 13 items. You can see I'm pointing it to it now. And it brings down out shitim, misses out the oils, and then just mentions Avni Shem Avni Miloy. Now, so far, so this is the Sabah Sedek, and he's showing that that's the Cheshman of the 13 things. But what I found fascinating is that we have the, and if anyone saw the video tonight about the Rebbe of the Sikha, so Rebbe mentions about the 13 or 15. So we have a similar dilemma. When it comes to Yishtabach, that there's in Yishtabach, there's a list of 13 praises, and some places refer to it as 15. And the Tzemach Tzedek, in this mime, as you can see, is connecting the 13 and 15 items in the list of Parshas Truma with the 13 or 15 in Yishtabach. Now, let's go down again. Now, what I find even more fascinating is that the focus on 13 items in Yishtabach is actually in the Zoyar in Parshas Truma, which you have it now on the on, on the screen. In the Zoya Parshas Truma, he says when a person comes to Yishtabach, so he has a he talks about the crown and then he talks about the 13 um halls of, um, of, of mercy, and he goes through the list of Shiroshvachal to Kdusha, that's 12, and then you add also Malthus. I have a place of this 13. So it's interesting, it's in the Zoyar. On Pasha's Truma, following about Zahav Kassim Nechoshes, but the Zoyar does not connect this, at least what I didn't, I didn't manage to trace it. The Zoyar does not trace the 13 items of Yishtabach comparing to the 13 items in the list of um, in, in Pasha's uh, Truma, but it's there in the Zoyar over there. Now, so let's go back. Um, so the, here you have the list in Yishtabach. Shira Shvocha, Halad Vazimro, Uzim Shal Nesar Gedula, Vura Tehila, Tiferes Kedusha, or Malchus. That's your 13. Then there's a question whether, and then the, um, let's, let's go back to the Zoya again. It says here that a person should, should be careful. One should not interrupt between the 13 praises which are in Yishtabach, one should avoid interrupting. To try to save them in, in one in one uh, one uh, one stretch. Actually, in this of saying it in one stretch, Rabbi Yaakov Emden in his Siddur, he wants to say it means that you shouldn't interrupt with other things. Others say, and you'll see in a moment. Others say no. I mean, you can't interrupt in middle of your You can't interrupt in any, in any case. So it means to say it in one breath. So now we have here. Now you have on the screen from the Rebbe Rashab's Hagoes Hasidur. So. You have the Rebbe's Elta Elta Zayda, Rebbe Vrom David Lavut, who wrote a, uh, a commentary 
on the Alter Rebbe Siddur called first called Shari Tfilo, then the second edition was called Shara Koilu. Rebbe Rashab was all of 23 years old at the time, and he sent um, pages and pages of comments, of additions to Rav Lavut. Some of these we have in the back of the Tirayatayra Siddur, Siddur Dach. They're called Hagos Hasidur of the Rebbe Nishma Seiden. They were also being printed in a sefer called Teras Sholem, which is the Chuvas of the Rebbe Rashab. So just just go through this quickly. He says the praises of Yishtabach. So we have there's a there's a nukuda. There's a there's a full stop before the word Shir, and there's a full stop after the word Malchus to say to indicate that you shouldn't interrupt between those 13 phrases. I'm going to flip back there. Yishtabach is referring to the the, uh, the dot after Loilam Voyer, before Shirosh and the dot after Amalchus. So he's saying that that is there specifically so that one should say those 13 praises in one stretch without a hefsi. And he refers to the Zohar, which we just saw, the Zohar base. He then refers to the Sefer called Oyer HaYoshar. Oyer HaYoshar is from Reb Meyapophilus, and he interprets that it means to say it in one breath. And the Rebbe adds in bracket, possibly because if it were to do with a hefsuk in Dibur, then in any case, you're not allowed to apishikonorok. And therefore, it means to say it in one breath. And then he goes further that in the Arizal, Kisri Arizal, we find also um, a number of saying Tesvob Shvachon of 15, corresponding to the 15 words in the Postgres Hashem Amarito. So we have here, you can, I'm not going to in the Kabbalah too much. You have here, though, this whole discussion about the 13 words in, in um, Yishtabach, 13 praises, and possibly also Broches Voidois should also be uh, appended to that list, making a list of 50. All right, so I just wanted to share this uh, very interesting how, uh, and this insight into the Siddha, which we, we do use every day, just a little bit. Okay. The, someone asked me this question. What do we do with the challah? Many, many women cherish the mitzvah of making um, uh, loaves for Shabbos. And part of that is the mitzvah of when you make uh, an amount, whatever the amount is, a bit more than one and a half kilo of flour, and then you take away a, a pinch of, uh, of a dough and you make a bracha and you say, and, and, and it sets aside as challah. Now, the original mitzvah was obviously to give this portion, to give it to the koyan. It's one of the 24 gifts to the, to the koyanim. And um, fine. Unfortunately, we don't have the facilities of, to, to enable that the koyanim should be tosh, should be purified today. And therefore, it remains uh, the koyanim, we, the koyanim can't eat it. Uh, I know there's discussion about it, but basically it remains that the koyanim can't eat it. So what do we do with it? So therefore, we burn it. And now the question is, how thorough does that burning have to be? Typically, if you just put it in the oven or on the stove, it's going to char on the outside and the inside is going to be still white and possibly even edible. That's a bit of a problem. So that is a problem, but I, I don't have a solution. My impression is it should be all burnt. Um, I just want to share with you also a piece from the Alter Ebbets where it talks about making, now, nowadays probably no one does this kind of thing to start making challah on, on Yom Din. You could do that. Your hand, thank you. So he talks here about if a person made a dough on Yom Tov. You made a and the dough now, the piece is now Tomei. You're not allowed to burn that dough on Yom Tov. It's a mitzvah of burning Kodshim. If sacred items have become disqualified, there's a mitzvah to burn them. So therefore you can ask the question, I have a mitzvah to burn the challah, 
I should be allowed to burn the challah on Yom Tov. The answer is, though, it's not for the benefit of Yom Tov. It's not as if you're going to personally enjoy the heat or the flavor or whatever. So it's a mitzvah, but it's, it's not, not. And then you have, because it says, Yom Tov is asay and lois asay. There's a mitzvah of shviso, to abstain from malacha. And there's a mitzvah lois asay, you shall not do malacha. So Yom Tov has got a positive and a, and a negative to it. And therefore, if it had been only just Yom Tov, just a loisase, so we generally have a principle that a positive overrides a negative. But here, Yom Tov has got its own positive of abstaining from the And therefore, you don't burn the Chal on Yom Tov. Well, I'm just bringing this to show that we're actually talking about a mitzvah. One more thing, which I may have on the screen. I know it's not here. Um, whilst I was researching this, I saw something interesting. There's a Sefer Mate Ephraim, which is written by Ephraim Zalman Magulis. Um, it was a contemporary of the Semach Tzedek, And it's all about the halachas for Tishri. St. Simon Tofresh Chofhei, leading up to Sukkot, he talks about preparing challah for Yom Tov, and he adds, Lisrif ha miyad, that you should burn the, the challah without delay. So I didn't find a source for it, but that's, he, he encourages to burn the challah immediately, um, possibly because it's a mitzvah, so it's a mitzvah, you try to do it as soon as possible. Right. Um, or possibly the other side of it is that the, you don't want mistakes to happen and that challah will be used for or other things. Okay. Let's go on to a new question. Someone wrote to me in, uh, this week and asks about if someone, his, his question was actually if he wake, wakes up in the middle of the night, he's going to do some learning and he's not sure whether he's going to go back to sleep or not. Not sure. So he asked me what's, what's the story with brachas and all of that. So we've got actually four, four items which we have to address here. One is a bracha for Al-Natir The second one is the bracha Elikai Neshama. The third one is the, the, uh, the 13-odd Birchas um, HaShachar. And the fourth is Birchas These are all different items, and they may have different halachas. So the first, list, the first thing which we have on the list here is about Natir Shadaim, and that's in Simon Dalad. From this, this is from the Al-Tarebbe's Matura Kama. And he writes the following. If a person got up early before, the, before dawn and he washed his hands three times properly, um, and he's, he, 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 sorry, um, he, he, then he says that with the third line. He goes back, if he goes back to sleep a second time, for sure now, he's going to sleep, he has the Ruach Ra. And when he wakes up a second time, he has to wash three times. However, he should not say the brocha on the Tirs the second time. So again, he's woken up in the middle of the night, he washed Negelvasa, and he said Al Natilsyadaim then. So then when he um, wakes up the second time, he should wash Natilsyadaim again, but he should not say the brocha on the Tirsyadaim. So the second last line of the first quote. The bracha on the is only for burial chadosh, and you become like a new, a new being, and that only happens. That being like a new, a new being is only uh, once, not twice. I want to clarify something. People have asked this quite often. What happens if a person gets up in the middle of the night just for a minute to use the bathroom and go back to bed? You don't need to make a bracha on the then. I don't, know the, I don't even know whether you have to wash Negovas altogether, but certainly you don't have to make a bracha. Then here you're talking about well, someone's getting up and you're going to spend some time whilst he's awake um, get, doing, doing some whatever it may be. That's my understanding of this. Um, not just, you know, um, uh, straight, just in and out, or out and in. Um, okay, so that's until you die. So if you did get up for a little while, you washed until you die, you said a bracha, until you die, you wouldn't say that bracha the second time, but you would wash Negovas. Um, there is, in the first, I, I, I uh, skimmed over it, 
the first couple of lines, there's a, there, he mentions a svara that you should say that, that if you got up before Alos HaShachar, you should wash Al Natir Shadaim a second time as at, at daybreak, because possibly it's the Lilo, the night which causes the Ruach Ra. I don't have it in front of me now, but clearly I remember that in later places, at a later stage, the Alter Rebbe makes it clear that you don't have to wash Negel Vasa again. The Ruach Ra has got to do with sleeping and not to do with Lilo. Therefore, if you got up at four o'clock in the morning and then at six o'clock or seven o'clock, uh, whatever, it, it, it becomes day, you don't have to wash Negalvasa again. There is such a swara, but the Alter Rebbe elsewhere says it's not necessary. So that's dealing with the Brochan Tzir Now let's go to the second quote. The second quote now is from Simon Vov, and that is about Elikai Nesham. We thank Hashem to have restored my spirit to me. So, so let's read that inside. Someone who got up early. He knows he's going to go back to bed. He's getting up um, for a little while, as I suggested before. He's going to go back to bed. And the second time he's also going to get back into bed. Yeah? Not just nod off uh, on the couch on the on the armchair. So if you are getting up and you're going to stay awake for let's say an hour and then you're going to go back to bed, so you should say the first time you should say Elikai Neshama without Hashem's name at the end. You don't say Baruch Ato Hashem Amachzin Neshama Slifgari Meis. You just say Baruch. You just tell you tell the Chasima, and so you'll say Elikai Neshama this in your first waking session without the uh, finishing bracha. When you go back into bed, you'll say hamapil a second time without baruch Hashem You'll because you've already said hamapil the first time you went to bed. So therefore, the second time you'll say baruch hamapil chevla sheno and again without the ending baruch Hashem So what he's saying is that this waking break in the middle of your sleep, you do the Elikaina Shoma not in the full way, and you'll do Hamapil not in the full way. And when you get up the second time, that's when you'll say Elikaina Shoma in the normal way. And he finishes off on the Tishadaim. You do that, that's all you have done the first time, as we discussed in the, from Simon Dalt. So that's that having dealt with Elikaina Shoma. So again, if you wake up in the middle of the night for a little while, and you and you know that you're going to go back to bed, so you say Elikai Nasham without the Chasima. In the case which this gentleman asked me earlier in the week, it was he's not sure whether he's going to go back to sleep or not. So in that case, he should say Elikai Nasham um, in the, the full bracha. And when he um, if he wakes up the second time, well, as Hashem, if you wake up a second time, so then he uh, he will say it without uh, Chasima. Then okay, the third question is about all the rest of the brachas. Now this we discussed a couple of weeks ago and what I said then was that if you went through the experience of putting on clothes, you put on, on your, you're wearing shoes and you heard the, the rooster, then you can make those brachas um, before daybreak also. If you didn't hear any of that, didn't have any of those experiences, then you wouldn't say it. So practically speaking, if you wake up and he doesn't really go talk about going back to bed in, in this thing. It just, if you get up early, so uh, if you're wearing leather shoes, you'll say Shosli Kotsorki. But the Hanoisa uh, Nasachivino, I guess you're going to have to wait until dawn to say that bracha, unless you've got a rooster in your back garden who uh, will entertain you and, and then you can make a bracha. Okay, finally, with Birchas Hatoya. So again, we have here a person who wakes up in the middle of the night. So he does have to say He says And obviously then when he goes to sleep and wakes up the second time, he won't say So just to summarize, if a person does have this uh, this uh, you know this lifestyle of or ad hoc waking, he's going to wake up in the middle of the night for an hour or so to learn something and going to go back to sleep. So you do say, you brought, wash Negelvas and say, 
as you are, of course, depends on your, uh, your you know, assuming, assuming that you needed to say in any case, we said without the ending, don't say the middle, don't say the whole stretch of Rochas, do say from you know the, the three birchas till and then then you learn your shir then go back to bed say hamapil without the Hashem's name and then uh, when you wake up you'll when you wake up the second time you will say you won't say on the tishkadayim you'll say Hashem presumably um, and then you'll say your kind of shama properly the stretch of the thirteen odd brachas but you won't say birchas again. So now someone's asking, so you say Nitzvah dying by your bed after you wash your hands after waking. So, so I, I, I think I made that clear earlier. No, I think that if you're just getting up to use the bathroom and go straight back to bed, I don't think you should say Nitzvah dying then. Uh, it, would, it would be, uh, I think a lot, a lot of people get up in the middle of the night and to say that all of them can't say Nitzvah dying in the morning because they washed next to their bed. No, I don't think so. I think it means getting, I don't know whether you have to wash Negovas next to your bed if you're just, just in and out or out and in, as I said before, but um, certainly leave the bracha on for the morning. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Now, we're on for question number four, and this is a couple of people asked me the same question this week about putting a borekis or a kugel on a hot plate. Now, I want to explain there's two issues here. One is cooking on Shabbos, which is obviously a very severe thing. And then there is what's called nira kimavashu. Two separate things. And the Altarebe is, in the Siddur particularly, is very concerned about reheating foods if there's going to be a liquid Although we have the foods, we say ain bishul but if there's a, a if, let's say it's a fatty food, and the fat will dissolve, and that then it's a liquid, and with liquid we say reheating a liquid yes bishul by reheating a liquid is 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 is, uh, is bishul. Therefore, a kind of kugel, which um, which does have a lot of fluid. When it's going to be heat and it's going to be oozing out and they're going to be coming out to lettuce, so chazar shalom, you're not allowed to um, reheat that on on uh, on shabbos. But if it's something which is a more it's just a moist kugel, something like that, then you are allowed to. Then there's no question of bishul re, because it's a cooked food, although it's moist, but it's not not liquid. Therefore, bishul is not a problem. The problem is. So to put, we have, we're all familiar, there's halachas of chazoro, which means you have to have a blech and you have to have in mind to put it back, etc. So to take a kugel out of the fridge and to put it onto the blech is definitely not, not okay because you haven't fulfilled the tenoye chazoro. And the reason for this is it's nira kimavash. And therefore, one of the solutions is if you put what we call a double decker, if you put on top of a pot, not directly onto the cooking surface, but onto something which is on top, removed, that's not near a kimavashal, that solves the problem. Now, you may argue that a plug-in electric hot plate is not near a kimavashal in any case. It's not a normal way of cooking in any case. I'm, 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 I'm open on that. And do people heat? They are, you know, we use them for Shabbos. What are they? These hot plates used for in conventional, you know, in the, in the Derveld? Are they used just for keeping food warm? Are they possibly used also for warming foods? For a, I don't know, I don't know what, the, what, what, what they used for in the broader community. At any rate, this. I, uh, we have here from Rav Forkash Sefer, and he writes the following. There are many poskim who forbid putting food onto an electric hot plate, just like you wouldn't be allowed to put on the blech because, as I said, of Nira Kimavashu. On the other hand, there are eminent poskim who do permit this. If there's a need for Tzayach Oynek Shabbos, he says one could rely on the lenient opinion, However, he, what he does recommend, which I will just reiterate, 
is that um, in if you want to warm up this kugel on the um, on the hot plug-in hot plate, take something like a baking tin, put it on top of the hot plate, and then you'll put the kugel on top of the inverted dish, um, uh, baking tin, whatever. So it's going to become warm. It won't be as efficient as sitting directly. I accept that, but fine. That that hopefully will um, be uh, be effective, satisfactorily. That's what he suggests. So you should be putting it on top of something else. So it should be avoiding the problem of nira kimavashal. So someone's asking: Is the liquid relevant to bishul if the ikri is a solid food? So long as the liquid is absorbed in the food, then we don't have a proper problem of yes bishul bishul. It's a part of the food, and it's it's cooked, and it doesn't recook. Only if it starts oozing out, and it becomes visibly um, a body of liquid, and that is reheated, that's when we'll have a problem of bishul bishul. Let's go on to the next question. Okay, so now. Someone asked the question about kissing the sifatera and what's the source for it. And so there, there actually, I, in my notes, which I sent out before Shabbos, they, I gave a reference to the Sefer Chikre Minhogim. You've got Rabbi Gerari from Hulon. He's got a six-volume series on sources of Minhogim. So he has a whole discussion about the source of the meaning of kissing the Sefer and this could be just kissing the Sefer from the outside, etc. Um, but this idea of touching the Sefer with the cloth. Now, the Munkichirov, the Minchas Elazar, he was very opposed to this touching the Sefer with the cloth, very, very upset about it. He's worried that Sometimes you may, by touching it a bit too um, sharply, you may be erasing some letters or smudging. Especially, you know, when we speak, sometimes we splutter a little bit. And it could be sometimes a bit of saliva could have fallen onto the, uh, onto the parchment. Like this, it will evaporate. But if you swipe it with a cloth whilst it's still moist, you could actually be causing a smudge. And if it's Hashem's name, you, it's going to, you're going to be erasing or, or defacing Hashem's name. So really, the Munkach is really very, very um, outspoken not to be kissing. The, if you want to touch, just touch on the margin. Well, we'll come to that in a moment. But meanwhile, the Bichlal, this minig of touching the Sefer Torah. So let's read. This first quote is from the Sefer Shari Ephraim, also from Ephraim Zalmagolis. And it's the specialist safer on Kriyas HaToyre. So he writes in Shar Dalitzif Gimel, So when you have your Aliyah, so then you, the, um, the, the Balkoyre will show you where you're going to be reading from. Because when you make a Brocha, you should know what your Brocha is referring to, you know, what, what's, what's, what's in the, for your meal today. Then he says, again, it's customary that the one who has the Aliyah takes his talus. Or the mantle of the sefer or nowadays they would use the gartel, and he puts it onto the onto the amud, onto the column of writing, where he meant to be reading, and then he kisses the talus or the um, mantle. Who minig vasik? And he says it's an ancient minig, and he'll come to it later. So here we have this minig of touching the beginning of the reading. And then we have the next quote, which you have in front of you. Um, is from the Hayoim Yoim, I think it's Dalad El. It's also quoted in, in, in Sefer Hamenhogim, it's a little bit more articulate. And he says, by you touch with your talus at the beginning and at the end. Then you kiss the talus, the talus where, it, uh, where you touched it, on the Sefer and then you close the Sefer you turn to your right slightly, and you make the bracha. Now, so here is added. So whereas the um, Shari Ephraim had said about touching the beginning in Hayoim Yoim it says touch the beginning and the end and then so I don't have a, an explanation for that, you can say alright it's giving you an idea, but what is even more uh, interesting uh, certainly in the later years the Rebbe was clearly noyek 
at the beginning of the Aliyah to touch the beginning, the end, and the beginning. At the end of the Aliyah, he would touch the end, the beginning, and the end again. So um, this is a uh, an appeal. If anyone knows an explanation for this, I'm happy to share it with. I can understand kind of uh, kind of uh, touch the beginning and touching the end, and to kind of give you an idea what 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 to expect, and then all right. I, I, when you finish, I, I, I read, I, this is where I finished off. I started there, kind of identifying, demarcating what, you, what you've now read. But why a third time, that I don't know. And as I say, anyone who can share it. I, I want to share with you, though, something which last night I was reading, I was browsing through the Sefer Mavo Yabuik. I was looking for something totally different. But meanwhile, this came across. Uh, this is Mavo Yabuik is a, a Talmud, of Ramemifano, Ramnachmari Mifano. Ramnachmari Mifano was a Makubal, a contemporary of the Arizal. He lived in Italy. And so this is uh, Baruch, or something from Modena, which is in, also in Italy. And it's a Sefer written by Ruach HaKodesh, an amazing Sefer. Uh, it's mainly addressing a person's going on over from this world to the next world. Hence the name Mava Yabuik, crossing over the river to the other side. That's the main. Um, um, you know, focus of the Sefer, but lots of interesting things. So he writes here that when the Shliach Tzibur reads the Sefer Torah, he is attaching, when he calls people to the Sefer Torah, he is attaching their souls to the spirit, to the Ruchnius, to the spiritual aspect of the Torah. And um, that's why also when they say, Yamod Kavod Rebbe Ploini, so in, in Ashkenaz we don't do this. But probably in the Sephardim with the Italians, they yamod kavod reb so and so. So he says when he says kavod, he's actually referring to the neshama, which the neshama is called the kavod. It's like an aura above the uh, conscious person. The mind is the kavod. And when he says yamod kavod kavod so and so, he means that his neshama should radiate within him, etc. And then he goes further to the next, second last line of this paragraph of this chapter. When you kiss the Torah, you're trying to attach your own spirit, your own ruchni, your own ruach, with the ruchnius. This is besides the various exalted kavonas which the Sifri Hamakubolim give for one who's oil the Torah. So, I'm, you know, he doesn't say exactly when to kiss, before, after, from the side, inside, he doesn't say. But what we do see is something that it's a it's an expression of trying to connect your ruch, your spirit with the ruchnius of the Torah, which I just saw this last night. Um, I shared it with you. Yes. Now we have a couple of questions here on the um, chat. So number one says, um, asking Rabbi Overlands, like, can you put an empty keli? On the blech, yes, you can put an empty and you put it as you say, put it upside down. That would be okay. Um, someone, someone says, writing here, I always assumed it was to refocus on the part which is relevant now. So I understand that's the beginning and the end, but I don't understand why back to the beginning again. Here's the general, the general beginning and the end. Now here's the part we will start now. Okay. Um, Rabbi Gollum adds. Interesting that he has used this piece of Mavoyabuik at the Chief Rabbi's conference to emphasize the role of the rabbi in the Balkoya. Yes, earlier on he talks about the zchus of the the chazan, how to connect the congregation um, with Hashem to with, in, through his leading the services. I see that there was an expression, a difference between a baltfila and a chazan. And about uh, Phil is is he's connecting uh, connecting the shamas, arousing the shamas. Okay, someone asked this week about flowers from Eretz Yisrael. Do they have kedushas shvius? So flowers. Some talk about flowers with a fragrance. Flowers, though, per se, are not food, and therefore. They do not have Kedushas Shvius. If you did have flowers which came from Israel, 
There's no business of having to dispose of them in a particular way. They have no Kedusha. However, it wouldn't be correct to buy flowers produced this year in Etzisro, unless they have a Hersh, obviously. The reason being that to propagate flowers, to, 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 to make them, uh, you know, to, 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 keep, to make them grow, to help them grow, is, uh, isn't allowed during Shemitah. So you are allowed to, if you live in Israel, you have a lawn, you're allowed, to, you're allowed to water the lawn just enough to preserve it, it shouldn't spoil. But to propagate growth, that wouldn't be allowed. So I don't know the whole flower industry and whether it's growing in soil or whether it's growing in, in uh, how you say, hydroponically, I don't know. But if it is growing um, in a normal way, growing from the soil, so then we do have a problem of, of um, supporting people who are not keeping the halacha. And therefore, I, I wouldn't recommend to buy them. Right. Um, Rabbi Naftali is pointing out that many minhogim are written in the in the countries of Basinist and Tafshin Ches, and and that's also quoted in the Sefer Haminhogim, uh, which, uh, which I mentioned before. He quotes the Munkacho in the, in the, on the margin. He quotes the Munkacho who says, only touch the side. And he says, well, we're not knowing like that. Right. Um, someone's asking about washing your hands over grass in there, Israel. Um, all right, listen, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not there now. And um, we should all have this trailer for ourselves. But, okay. Someone, one of our listeners asked, a question about Nusach. So he noticed, he compared our Siddha to the Siddha, uh, to Ashkenaz Siddha, he davened sometimes in the United Synagogue. So in, uh, in Elu Devarim, in the Nusach Ashkenaz, it does not have a vein ish, have was shalom ben ishl ishtoy, it only has been odma chabere. And then this is obviously a Mishnah in the beginning of Peah. And so he looks up, and actually, if you take out that Mishnah in Peir, you'll see that it's about half the size of the Mishnah as we have. There's many more items added in the Nusach which we have. Well, this is going back already hundreds of years. Uh, this discussion is Gemara. Is it a Mishnah? Is it a Braisa? At any rate, there are various Nuschois, yes. And indeed, this what you have in front of you is a copy of a Sfardi Siddha printed in Venice in the year Reish Peidalat. Now, now we are. Tofshin, yeah, Bay Base. So this is 500 years ago, one of very, a very early print. What's so significant about this print is that the Arizal used this Siddur, not necessarily the one which we have in, on, on the screen, but he used that print. And Reb Chaim Vital says, whenever we have any corrections, so the basic Siddur which we're using is the print of Venice, Reish Pei Dalad. So it's available, it's on Noitzah etc. So um, I just, before, Going on to the next point, I once heard a very beautiful vote from Rabbi Herschel Fogelman, Oliver Shalom from Worcester, Massachusetts. In other Sidurim, it has, as in this scene, the one in front of you, it says, Vahashuas Shalom, Bain Odom Lachavere. Look in the Chabad Sidur, it says, Vahavuas Shalom, She Bain Odom Lachavere. So Rabbi Fogelman, he said, I don't know, I don't think it was from that. I thought it was from Felix Rebbe, and he said, no, it's not from him. But he said the following: Havuas sholem bein odem lachaveri is to bring about harmony between the husband and his wife. Havuas sholem she bein odem lachaveri means like this: the harmony is there, but sometimes it's a little bit under the surface, and you have to just bring it out to the surface. Havuas sholem she bein odem lachaveri to bring out the sholem. People want to be b'shalom with one another. Now sometimes there are some struggles in the way, so we try to to stimulate and bring that to the surface. Um, the other thing which the and this listener asked, is about the Uvin Imo Kedosha or Uvin Imo Kedusha Kolom Einim Ki'echot. So in Birchas Yoitzer, just before Kodesh Kodesh, so there's two ways of uh, punctuating. Is it Bin Imo Kedosha or is it Uvin Imo Kedusha or Kolom Einim Ki'echot? So this is going back all the way. You have a Rashi in Yeshaya, which clearly reads it, Uvin Imo Kedusha Kolom Einim Ki'echot, as, and yet, on the other side, there are those who have an ima kdoisho, there's a nusach harambam, b'ni ima tohoiro. So, uh, so the, both nuschois are 
are going back you know, many centuries. What you have in front of you is from the Abu Darham, which I've mentioned previously. So he has Uvenim Akadosho. Pirush Uvenim Askoil Kadosho Utohoiro. It should be a pleasant and a holy and pure um, voice. And then he has on the last line, Yesh Yechidim. There are individuals, Koirim, that they read it, Kadusha Kolomen Kechon. So it looks like the Sfardi reading is more as it is an acid of an Ima Kadosho. And it looks like in the Ashkenazi reading, the Kadusha Kolom Echod is the more prevalent one. Okay, so these are uh, two ways of, of, uh, of reading it. Okay, I mentioned the beginning of the Shir about this um, new edition of the Kitsa Shukhanaruch. And so I was asked to address the two forms of of um, the two issues about Adar Rishon and Adar Shani in relation to birthdays and yard sites. And you have in both of these quotes are from the Kitsa Shukhanaruch. And so here we're going to do a little bit of a exercise. So the first one is from Simon Tesvov. Um, and it says the following, that one who's born in the month of Ador in a regular year, and when the year when he becomes a bar mitzvah, so then, it's a, a, a leap here. He only becomes an, a, a, a minion and all that is only the second Ador. Now, here's a very interesting thing. The, this is a Kitsa Shekhanaruch. In the Shekhanaruch of Yosef Karo, this is written in Simon Hay, I think it's Siftes. Curiously, in the Alter Rebbe's Shekhanaruch, this item is missed out. And the Rebbe, in, in, in a letter, says it's a, it is a bit strange why it was missed out, but the poil is not there. Meanwhile, what we have in this new edition of the Kitsa Shekhanaruch, that, as I said, where, are, where there are comments and from the, um, in Hoge Chabad, so they are brought in the footnotes. So here we have, in the margin, Hiroasim in Hoge. So here's a quote from a letter of the Rebbe. As you see, number three in the Mara Mekoymis tells you it's in Shulchan Menachem. And then you're also um, you know, referred to Piskei Tshuvas, who also discusses that. That's not, he's not discussing Minich Chabad, but we uh, did try to show parallels in other poskim. If there's something in Minich Chabad, it's not just a Chabad thing, it's also discussed in other poskim. So now, the Rebbe in this letter says that this idea that a bar mitzvah boy only becomes bar mitzvah in Adar Shani, that's because we're not sure whether the main Adar is Adarush and Adar Shani because of the dilemma, well, we can't rely on him for a minion until Adar Shani. True. But on the other hand, about putting on tefillin, then you should put on tefillin Adarushan. In other words, for those people who don't put on tefillin two months before, they only start putting on tefillin at the day of Bar Mitzvah Mamish. There are Polishitin who have this minute. So Rebbe says, okay, so then when Adarishan comes around, so don't count him for a minion until Adarshani, but he should be putting on tefillin already from Adarishan because of that dilemma. So that's the, that's the birthday thing. And I guess because Bar Mitzvah and Bas Mitzvah, that matter, is such a significant birthday. Therefore, generally, we say birthdays, we follow other shape. Now, let's go now to your site. And that is in the last simon of the Kitsis Shekhanaruch, Simeresh Chof Allah. And he talks about this. The second, the first part is if a person had passed away in Adarishna or Adashani in Elipia. The second part, he says, if a person had passed away in a regular year, in a Shonab Shuta. So then, how, when do you observe the Yort site? So he says you should observe the yard site in other edition. Talks about fasting. People, many people have minute to fast on the yard site. Other Shani, you should also say Kaddish, but you don't have, you shouldn't be pushing aside anyone else who, for whatever reason, says Shikolchir. Okay, so the, the so the, the word is like this. When you have a sophic about a bar mitzvah, we say we can't make you a part of a minion until other Shani. When it comes to a yard site, so then actually there is the weight in saying, let's do it earlier than later, because of the dilemma. So we don't want to have the Neshama in Elam 
being anxious, they forgot about me. They know it's Adarish, not a shame. So therefore, better earlier than later. And therefore, when it comes to Yortzeit, the Yortzeit is observed primarily in Adarish, and if uh, and if possible, also Adashani, Kadash, uh, etc. Let's, we have now another couple of minutes. I just want to share with you a, um, oh, let's finish off with the list which we have, and then I'll share with you what we have on the screen. Um, about selling letters to a non-Jew. So, Mayor Zirkin uh, referred me to a sefer called Ateris Post by someone called Rabbi Zevichi, and he talks about this, very similar to our situation. He talks about a sefer Torah, since if the Goy is going to buy letters, so then it's going to be a sefer Torah um, written by, partly written by a Goy, and therefore there's a whole problem. As far as I remember, I didn't spend too much time on this. You. Still not? Can you hear me now? I can hear. Okay. Yeah, I hear very well. Okay, thank you. So, all right, so let's move everyone again. Okay. Just mute yourselves and, yeah. There we are. All right. Um, so, as far as I remember, the issue of a Sefer Torah being written by a Goy is because the Goy has um, faulty um, intentions. He's going to write Hashem's name and he's going to think about Avedazara. I don't think that's an issue when you have a Jew, Yerush Shemaim, writing, the Goy's uh, who have bought a later letter, I don't think it's going to affect the, the kavana of the Yid who's writing. But all right, fine. We've remained already. We came to conclusion it's not a good idea in any case. Um, fine. Um, the other thing, last week we discussed about the Chosen giving the Ksuba directly to the Kala. So um, one of our listeners, Rabbi Glasman from Riga, he says that he was present by a Chuppah and um, one of the eminent Rabbonim of Chabad clearly made a point that the Chosen shouldn't give it directly to the Kala, and it wasn't for any, um, it, it, was, it didn't seem to be for any specific reason other than that's not the done thing, at least from his perspective. So, all right, so the, uh, no, nothing hard and fast over there. What I've seen, as I say, uh, here we did give the Chosen, did give it to the Kala, and um, we would discuss that last week. I want to share with you the following, and with this, um, just last, take a couple of minutes, and that is, what you have in front of you is a, a copy from the Lukutasichus, uh, volume Chovvov, and the this is from a Sicha on Zain Ador, which is coming this week. The Rebbe used to give out the Lukutasichus on a, in pamphlets, would come out usually on a Thursday. And at the time I was learning in Koylon in New York and um, the Rebbe very much appreciated if someone had a question, they should write it down and put it, there was a weekly publication called Ha'oros Tzibayurim, Ha'oros Atmimim, and the Rebbe would very often come into the shul on Shabbos morning and you could see in his siddha he had the latest uh, pamphlets of the Ha'oros Atmimim, Ha'oros Tzibayurim, and the, he would browse, uh, browse those things between the aliyahs and then at the Fabrengen, they often, the Rebbe would often address questions which were raised by Talmudim, by um, whoever had written there. So what happened was that I had learned the Sikh on Thursday night, and I'd found it, I was struggling with the Rebbe's um, understanding of it. And I wrote in, and the Rebbe spoke about this, the following sh the Shabbos. This is Thursday, Friday, and the Shabbos. So here we go. The Rebbe is talking about Zayn Ador, and he says the main emphasis of Zayn Ador is in Adarishan. And he refers to the Gemara Soita, that the year when Moshe Rabbeinu was born was a leap year, even though that was said according to Rebbe Hanina Bar Papa, but there's no need to say that his colleagues disagree with him about a Metzius, whether it was a leap year. He gives a reference to a couple of places. All right, so now this is what came out. And um, what I want to say, that this last paragraph here was added two weeks later. Often the Rebbe would add additional comments uh, later, and they would be published in the back of the Sichas, and later when they came to the published volume, they were put in place. So now here is the Gemara. Gemara in Soita, Dafyud Beis, Amid Beis. Rebbe Hanin Bar Papa says, that day 
when Moshe Rabbeinu was put into the uh, into the Yamsuf, that was the 21st of Nisan. The Malachim say to Hashem, the one who's going to say a shiro on this day, he should be punished on this day. The Rebbe says that day when Moshe was put in the water, in the Yamsuf, in the Suf, whatever, that was the day of six of seven, the day of Matan Torah. The Malachim say to Hashem, the one who's going to receive the Torah on this day should be um, should be suffering on this day. So these are the two opinions. Well, in other words, whether it was the day of Chafal of Nisan or the day of, of Vav Sivan. The Mara asks, all very well according to the one who says it was in six of Sivan. So I understand. Um, I understand how you get three months from when he was born until he was put into the uh, Suf. It says Moshe Rabbeinu was born on the seventh of Ador. Okay. So then from the seventh of Ador till the sixth of Sivan is three months. But if you say it was the day on the 21st of Nisan, the day of Kriyasi Amsu, how do you get your three months? And for the Gemara, that year was a leap year. And therefore, you've got Moshe Rabbeinu was born in Adarishan. So you got 23 days of Adarishan. You've got the whole of Adarshani. And, uh, and then you've got 21 days in, 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 in Nisan. So you've got one whole month and two most months. Okay. So the Rebbe takes now, takes this and says, well, even though the need to say that it was a leap year was a kunjur ibachanina bapopo, but even kunjur rabachachabachanina, he also agreed that it was a leap year. So yours truly wrote that I don't understand. Since they are already arguing which day Moshe Rabbeinu was put in the water, why don't we say that they are also part of what the background of their argument is, whether it was a leap year or a regular year? That was my question. And the Rebbe said it was like very untypical. The Rebbe, the way the Rebbe spoke, very, very sharp. He says, someone asked such and such. And he said in Yiddish, he said, He says, it's a skewed way of learning. And if he wants to insist that way, you know, be well. And then the Rebbe says, I'm sorry, first in Yiddish and the same in English. Because you have a, you're going through, you have a, you have a struggle here. You have a, a, a dispute about a fact. The fact, the disputed fact is about one little boy, whether he was put in the water this way, this day or that day. Therefore, you are taking the liberty of extending that difficulty and saying, we have a breakdown of information which affects not just one little boy, but affects the whole pop Jewish population, whether they had one, um, a, 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 a leap year or a regular year. So in other words, they're saying, we're looking at a machloikas bimitsias, which means a breakdown of a, a, a factual dispute, uh, a dispute about facts. And therefore that's a painful, that's a difficult thing to deal with altogether. Because you have a small machloikas that doesn't um, justify making uh, a, a much broader uh, is about a fact, about a much, much bigger fact, a much wider fact. So on Friday, uh, one of our listeners, he usually listens on Spotify, he says, okay, um, all right, I hear what the Rebbe is answering, but why don't we say that Moshe Rabbeinu, according to one, the one who says it was a day of Martin Torah, he was born in Adashani. According to the one who says it was a day of Kriyas Yamsuf, he was born in Adarishan. All right, everyone agrees it was a leap year, but perhaps they're also debating which day Moshe Rabbeinu was born in the Inishnashanobeshanobeshuta. And at the time I didn't answer him, I, I, didn't, I thought about it this morning. I, I, I think we're very good friends. I think he's just missed the point. The Rebbe is saying we try to avoid a machloikus on a fact. Okay, so there's three facts here. There's a fact which day Moshe Rabbeinu was put in the water. There's a fact which day Moshe Rabbeinu was born. And there's a fact whether it was a leap year or a regular year. So, all right, you've accepted that we're not going to make a machlokas about a fact whether it was a leap year or not. Everyone agrees. But then you're asking, let's make it, still we have a machlokas of fact which day Moshe Rabbeinu was born. What do you need that for? It's better to say everyone agrees which day Moshe Rabbeinu was born. Now, of course, the question is how you work out your three months. And the one who says it was a day of, um, day of Martin Torah will say like this, I don't count Mukutoyin, I only count whole months. Um, in other words, the first Adar doesn't count because it's not a whole month. Adar Rish, Adar Shani, Nisan, and Eeyore. And then the little bit of Sivan doesn't, doesn't count either. That's how, um, 
of course, you can ask the question, how did the Egyptians know all of this? And they only came checking after, um, um, you know, till the Vov Sivan, but that, that's a question. Okay, now, having, after this whole saga, as I said, the Rebbe then added, after this, oh, whatever, whoever, the, the, um, the Rebbe clarified by the Fabrengen, and this was added. So my claim to fame is four lines in the Kutasichas. Even though there is obviously a dispute about a fact, if it was the day when he was put in the water, was the 21st of Nisan or the 6th of Sivan, according to the rule that we should steer away from um, increasing dispute, it's no, there's no sense in adding another dispute, plus it's a, a dispute about a fact, whether it was a leap year or a, a regular year, and uh, let's go back to the first part. Um, if you say that it was um, it was born on, on or if you say it was put in the water on on, Martin, on the day of Martin Taylor, so it was it was four months um, in Tzachadoychik. But it's much a bigger doichik to say that they are arguing about a mitzvah. Okay, I'll leave you with that. And um, so there you are. If you want to look it up, as I say, it's in the Kutasichas Chelik Vov in this, the beginning of the Sikha for Zayin Adar. Wish you a wonderful week and uh, Hatzlocha and um, lots of Simcha because we really well into Adar. So Marvin Besimcha, more and more.